Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. I am so glad to bring you the gospel of the goodness of God and the grace of God today. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is what this is all about. It's all about the good news that God has conquered sin and death and that he by his spirit can make us partakers and visit our lives with his life, making everything new in our life. Wherein what Jesus has prayed, uh, that it will be on earth as what it is in heaven, everything made new by him. Now, today's message is not a live stream. It is a pre, uh, pre-recorded message. And uh, um, I apologize that it's not live and that you guys can't fellowship together today and that it's just pre-recorded, uploaded to YouTube and then shared. I know that many of you love uh, the fellowship that there is in our live webcast. But Elena doesn't feel well today and I'm not going to put under pressure to do the live mixing. So uh, that's, that's how we're going to, how we're doing this today. Now, before we get into the word, uh, let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you so much that we can uh, sit here and talk about your resurrection power and what you have come to do for man. Holy Spirit, in, <clears throat> just empower me as what you did this morning in bringing the gospel in a powerful way to people. They can understand the dimensions of your kingdom, the dimensions of the love that you have given us uh, to the point they can experience what you've brought forth for us. Amen and amen. Um, Now today we're going to talk about the visitation that God has, uh, or God's visitation to the earth. The Bible says that God will visit us. The scripture in Psalm 8 says, what is the children of man that you visit them? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Now, it can be a bit of a technical message today. Uh, we're going to go into Hebrews chapter 2 uh, in some detail. But let me start off with this. In, when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, and I looked at the difficult time Paul was going through and how he was helped by God, how the love actually brought forth a manifestation, how the dealings, um, how God deals with man and helps man came forth in his life. It really blessed me. And uh, at this time in my life, I am not going through a difficult time, but I do know of many people that do go through difficult times, and I know this will really encourage you. There are people that struggle with depression. There are people that struggle with a sickness that you don't find any healing from and you've been prayed for many times and you are basically awaiting to die. Uh, you don't know how to deal with these things and it might, you might be going through a very, very difficult time. So uh, I want to teach this and I want to preach this unto the encouragement of the body of Jesus Christ. And we can know in this world, we will have some persecution. We will have some things that come against us sometime. And in that time, we can be at a place where we are so powerfully impacted by His grace that we see the absolute victory that He has installed for us. Now, uh, and that we can start to experience the first fruit of that. Now, let me, before I read, say this. The way we read the Bible is very important. When we read the Bible, we cannot read the Bible in its original setting. What I mean by that is, and 
many people will say that is the accurate, most accurate way of reading any Old Testament passage or New Testament passage. Uh, it's, it's always in its original setting. Now, I can say that's true about the early church and the New Testament. But when we look at the Old, we cannot read the Bible like that anymore. Uh, when Jesus came to the earth in his resurrection, uh, there were some fatal things that changed in Judaism, that changed in the world. Number one, when we look at Judaism and we look at what they were awaiting and what they were looking for is, they were looking for freedom from the oppression of the Romans and then that the Messiah would come and set them free and then that the reign of the, the, the rulership that would then be in Jerusalem as they are set free will spread all over the world and that the peace that can come through obeying the law can flood the whole earth. That is what they were thinking of. And then in some of the sects of Judaism, some people believed in a resurrection. They even believed that some of the older saints that has died will be raised. Now, there were other sects and uh, people that were powerfully uh, in charge back then called the Sadducees. Uh, they didn't even believe in a resurrection at all. They didn't see it that way. So resurrection was almost like it is today in the church. It was treated as a side issue. Um, today in the church, in, in just, uh, I would say, the average church, doesn't put a great focus on the resurrection, although they believe in the resurrection. It is something that is there, but that is not what it all revolves around. Uh, it all revolves around the cross and Jesus that died. And that is all. And when Jesus died, what it's all about is believing that Jesus died. And then the focus is receiving the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and walking the power of the Holy Spirit and spreading the gospel. That is the focus. Where when Jesus was raised from the dead, everything changed. The view of the resurrection changed. Uh, what people believe about the resurrection changed. How the resurrection worked changed. You must realize that the early church, or let me put it this way, the people on the earth just before Jesus was born in that in his day and age, as well as a first part of the early church, um, they didn't really understand everything. They, they were puzzling it out and they were looking for certain things and Jesus came and actually gave definition to things. Like the Pharisees, they believed in a resurrection. But how this resurre resurrection would take place and what would cause this resurrection, they didn't know. They just believed in a resurrection. Now, when we look at, um, at Jesus and when he was raised from the dead, there has never been in, in that Jewish mind people that was raised with the resurrection of Jesus. They saw dead people being raised, but they were still raised into a mortal body. And when people like Elijah went up or, um, or, or Enoch that wasn't found, it, they couldn't see them anymore. They couldn't talk to them anymore. It was they were gone and they didn't see death. That was what they were mindful of. But a resurrection like the resurrection of Jesus, 
There was never such, such a thing was not seen that a person could die and then be raised and then after his resurrection appear in different forms, basically, I want to call different forms, but uh, appear here as someone you know and there as someone you don't know. Uh, it wasn't known to them. And then all of a sudden he, one day after, I think it was 40 days, many days, he made himself known to people all the time. 500 men at one time um, appeared to the apostles, ate food, they touched him. And then he one day went into glory, went, called into glory, went into the heavens, into the cloud and went into the different, different dimension with his spiritual body. Um, and once they saw that, they, and they, they were reminded of the words that Jesus said. Now remember, these people that wrote Mark, Luke, John, uh, Matthew, those writers wrote what they wrote in hindsight. You know, I don't believe it was that long after the death of Christ because some of the things weren't really puzzled out and sorted out if you read it carefully. But um, they, they said, Jesus basically said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then the, they would put emphasis on that. Why? Because of this resurrection and what it would imply to us. And that is all going to be the visitation of God. What is this visitation of God? Now, like I said, today can be a little bit technical, so I'm going to enjoy myself here. I trust that you can co-enjoy it with me. So what, take, what took place is Jesus died. He was raised. After his resurrection, they were mindful and they remembered that he said, on the third day I will be raised. And then they remembered and said that he is the resurrection. And then the Pharisees had to take their, their understanding of the resurrection and fit it into Christ and then come to a conclusion of a final resurrection. So the resurrection that was in the end was brought into the middle of time and we saw this man resurrected and then in this resurrection we can be raised one day. And as we see all of this and start to puzzle this out, we come to wonderful conclusions that can actually impact our lives today. Because at the end of the day, I would look, when I look at any doctrine, I ask myself the question, what does it mean for me today? What does it mean today? And what is the final conclusion of this? Now, the, to me, the doctrine of the resurrection and seeing, I don't even want to say the doctrine of the resurrection, the resurrection, when we look at that, it brings life to me today in bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit, as well as the blessed hope of conquering physical death, which is immortality in the return of Jesus Christ. That is what it, what it is. It gives me everything that pertains to life and godliness now. I mean, what more do you want than that? That is what we need today, and the end of it is in conquering physical death. So the first thing is when we look at scripture, we look at the apostle Paul, the way they looked at scripture, they looked at the resurrection, and this is the point I want to make, is as they looked at the resurrection, it changed, it changed the way they looked at scripture. First Samuel 7, the way they looked at, um, at, the, at the resurrection of the seed of David, all of a sudden they 
the people that read it back then, they didn't see it as a man that would die on a cross and be raised when they read that. They didn't understand that. But Paul comes and he puts everything in the perspective of the resurrected Jesus. The Old Testament, everything revolved around the obedience to the law and then awaiting a Messiah that can set them free from the rule of Rome. That's what, or whatever oppression they would be, that's what they awaited. And then the spreading of this law system throughout the world and so the peace of Jerusalem would be spread all over all over the world and so God would govern the earth and peace would be upon the earth. That's what they were thinking of. But when Christ came and he was raised, everything changed. The early church, their lives did not revolve around the law. Their lives revolved around this astonishing event that was called the resurrection where Jesus was actually raised from the dead. Something that was never heard of, thought of, or seen. I'm not talking about the resurrection of Lazarus. That's not the same resurrection that Jesus had. Now, as they were pondering upon this resurrection and they interpreted scripture from this resurrection event, and then they looked towards the future from this resurrection event, they start to do their evangelism, their church planting, the writings of the letters, and all those kind of things. So, the hermeneutical platform from where you look at all scripture would be the Messiah crucified and raised. That's how we look at everything. That is how we will address problems in life. That's how we address sickness. That's how we address the fruit of the flesh in our lives. That's how we address pain and hurt and all those things in our lives. And we can clearly see in 1 Corinthians how Paul does that. This is what Paul did. He came and he said, um, let me read from verse 5. It says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether, uh, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. Now that consolation talks about the, the resurrection. That is what he's talking about there. And then verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, that now talks about um, eternal death, talking about the destruction or what would happen to man should Jesus have not come, who has delivered us from so great a death and does deliver. So in other words, he delivers us from eternal death, and that he did in his resurrection, and today he delivers us from certain situations that we are in, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us you also helping together by prayer for us. So what is he saying here? He's simply saying that 
you guys in Corinth are about to go through a difficult time and, and I see hard times coming and that there can become hard times, hard times can come your way, but I want you not to be ignorant of what we've been going through. You, I want you to know that we, as these apostles, we are going through the very same thing or even worse, we, we were at a place in Asia where we were even despaired of life where we had the death sentence in ourselves, that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now look at Paul's practical application of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, when you read in the Bible the word spirit, don't think of ghost. Think of the resurrection power or the force that raised Christ from the dead. And that's why when the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is he talking about? Walk in the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, wherein it is said that he, he was raised from the dead and conquered sin and death. As you walk in that revelation, you find the resurrection power of Jesus bringing forth fruit in your life and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isn't that amazing? We thought walking in the Spirit means I'm going to obey all the commands that Jesus said or be a good Christian or whatever we connected to that. But what Paul meant when he talked about walking in the Spirit, he connected it to the resurrection where Jesus was raised from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, meaning or the Holy Spirit. He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. And then this Spirit was poured out upon us why? So that we who do not trust in our flesh but trust in the Father can have the resurrection that the Spirit would bring forth and manifest in our lives. That is what it's all about. And Paul comes here and let us see how he practically applies in the most difficult situation, the resurrection. It's like, um, what did he do? He just says, I don't, we were in a place where we had the death sentence in ourselves. What does that mean? That means situations were so difficult that it brought something upon us where we know by human ability we cannot get out of this. Plus, they had the revelation that inside themselves, like Paul said, in myself dwells nothing good. If I must apply willpower and old law systems and knowledge of man to try and get out of this, it is not going to satisfy. So inside myself, I had the death sentence. I know by myself I cannot do this. That I can trust in the Lord that raises the dead. Let me give you a practical example in the here and now. We had major fires in South Africa and one of the most beautiful towns in South Africa called Neisner, which is part of the garden route. People love to go from Cape Town to uh, to Hermanus and then from there drive all the way up the coast to Neisna and Port Elizabeth and we've got this beautiful garden route with it, it is just outstandingly beautiful and then one of the highlights would be to visit Neisna where they've got these two heads with a massive lagoon and the water coming in and oh there's just it's, it's a beautiful place and some of the most uh, affluent people live there as well and and we had this major fire coming at speeds with wind speeds of 60 miles per hour plus pushing this fire 
right into towns and that was one of the towns and many of the houses burned down and people are just sitting there with houses that burned down, ashes. And I know some of them don't even know if the insurance is going to pay for them. And uh, some of the, I mean, the fire also went through the very poor areas. You know, in South Africa, we've got rich areas and poor areas right next to each other. And it would go through the shacks and, and burn down the squatter camps and, and people would lose everything. Now, in time like that, what would bring consolation in the now? What would bring peace in the now? What did Paul do? He said, well, in my own power, I cannot restore this. In my own power, I cannot get over this. What I'm going to have to do is I have to come to the calculation that my own ability cannot cure this. It's like if your house burned down, what will bring consolation is to say, well, uh, I can maybe never rebuild this. I cannot cure the hurt in my heart about this. I can None of that. Because in myself, I see the death sentence. I see, and I think that's a very important thing to get in your heart, is that you come to the conclusion that by self-power, you give yourself the death sentence. So, and you know, if, you've, if you're in a jail and you've gotten the death sentence, you're not getting out of it. So if you can come, and that's a very important place to be at, is to say that, Finding my life in if my house burnt or not, well, that is not good. That will destroy my life. I only believe in the God that raises the dead. And when the revelation of God raising the dead, which is the mercy seat, I'm going to explain that to you as well. When our belief is in that, there is a supernatural power called the power of the Holy Spirit that raises us up into a new, the God that delivered us from eternal death and gave His Spirit as the proof of life in us, He yet delivers today, He still delivers today in situations, small situations we would call it. I mean a house that burned down would be a small situation uh, connected to uh, conquering the death of humanity in the resurrection. He solves those things for us. In those times, it gives consolation and peace and joy uh, in that. So when we, when we look at that and we look at the Apostle Paul, we can see that the revelation of the resurrection was central in the early church. It was they looked from the resurrection, they looked back at Scripture, interpreting Scripture that way, and then from the resurrection, they looked forward into the future and from the resurrection, they would apply truth to their own lives. That's why the message of the resurrection is the gospel. It's the gospel. If you want to say, what is the gospel? The gospel is a man was raised from the dead. Now, let us quickly go to, with that said, and let me explain the resurrection as the mercy of God or the mercy seat. Let me uh, quickly go to... John chapter 20, and this is the appearing that Mary had, or, or, or that Jesus had to Mary. John 12, oh, sorry, John 20, and we're going to read from verse 11. It says, Mary stood without the grave weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the grave. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the one at the feet where the body of Jesus was laid. And they said unto her, Woman, why do you cry? And she said unto them, Because they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And when she, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not who it was. And then she thought, and listen to this, and Jesus said unto her, Woman, why do you cry? Who are you looking for? And she, suppo she supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned, that word Mary there was actually her original Aramaic name that he called her by. And then he said, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. And I say, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and unto my God, and your God. So what happens here is so beautiful. Jesus comes, and what he is resurrected, and in the resurrection, you find uh, Mary come there, and she doesn't see Jesus in the grave. And when she doesn't see Jesus in the grave, she is astonished and sad. And when she went in and she, into the grave and looked into the grave, she saw two angels, one at the head and one at the feet. So imagine, here's a, a, a rock where they would lay Jesus on, and then on the one side there is an angel, and on the other side there's an angel. And in the Jewish mind, there's just one thing that had two cherubim or two angels that was next to a flat piece of uh, a, a, a flat piece of wood, and that was called the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant, they had these two angels, and then they, in between that, they've had the place where the presence of God is, that the place where the presence would come in God's visitation with man, and that would then be. Um, in the grave, the place where we find no dead human anymore, but a resurrected Jesus. That is the mercy seat. So, and in Afrikaans, it's not called the mercy seat. It's called the versun dexel. Versun means uh, reconciliation, and then dexel means lid. In other words, the lid or the, or the place of reconciliation. The place where if you would come and reconcile with someone or have an exchange, the place of visitation is between those two angels, which in this case is the grave wherein we can see that the presence of Jesus dwells in the revelation of the resurrection. Can you see that? And that is where, because so many times we say we want the power of God in our lives, we want the presence of God in our lives. We so wish for a visitation of God. The way the visitation manifests and the way God visits your life is not by just a feeling of things happening to you. Uh, you know, where in, when we look at a visitation, a church preacher would say, we want a visitation from the Lord, and then they account that with signs, wonders, and miracles, and supernatural things that happen, and then they would say, it was a visitation of the Lord. No, that was just signs, wonders, and miracles. The true visitation and the way God visits people 
God doesn't visit the way we visit. You know, the way we visit, now, to a certain degree does, but I want you to hear what I'm trying to communicate here. The way we visit is we go and we, uh, a person might be a very f sad person or a person that's very negative or critical. Let's say it's a very critical person, but yet that person is your friend and you fellowship with that person. Then one day you would say, I want to go and drink coffee at your house, but you're not a critical person. And then you would visit and everything and you would leave and he is a critical person still and you are who you are. That means you have visited him, but it was an outside visitation. It was not a visitation wherein your joy includes him. Now, the way Jesus visits is, and I'm going to take this from, from, from Hebrews a bit later and explain to you. He comes and he becomes man. And then he resurrects man. And then he visits man with his very being and life. That is how he visits us. And the way that visitation takes place is in the resurrection. Now you must have asked, but how do you get visitation and the grave and the resurrection altogether? It's very simple. When we had the temple, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And then whenever the presence of the Lord would come down and God would speak to Moses or visit the people, they, the, the glory would appear between these two cherubim. And from there, God, from the mercy seat or from the platform of reconciliation, he would speak to man. So how does God speak? What does God say? How is the word of God communicated to people on the earth? Very simply in this, in the resurrection. God speaks from the resurrection. If you want to hear the voice of God, he speaks from the revelation of the resurrection. If you wanted to know the voice of God for Paul when he was in the most difficult time, the voice of God was the resurrection. I believe in the God who raises the dead. Can you see that? That's how Paul, in the most difficult times, what he applied. And the revelation of the raising of the dead was greater than his circumstances. Glory to God. Right, now, um, I want to... Before I get into Hebrews, I want to use a very simple example and, and what this resurrection is all about. And in this bit of a technical message, I trust that there's some simplicity that will really help you. Now, I've, we've, we've had a preacher in South Africa that went about, uh, you know, and he, he used doom. Now, doom is an insecticide, and he would uh, spray people in their face, you know, and pray for them and basically use it as an anointing oil to show that, uh, you know, God is a healer. And I think they've took that you would take that scripture which says you will drink something deadly and nothing will happen to you. Now, I've got a can of that here today. Here it is. Doom insecticide. It says here, uh, if you read it, um, like I'm alone in the studio, so we can't zoom into this now, but it says there, harmful, dangerous. Okay, so uh, it is poison. This is what this is. You cannot inhale this. I cannot use this as a breath freshener. That's not going to be good to me. Now, should I partake of this, what will it bring forth in me? It will bring forth death. That's what it will bring forth. And what I would need, should I inhale this, 
and get it into my body, even if I'm disobedient, even if somebody, I mean, we find the, 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 the company who makes this, I don't even know who makes this, but the company who makes this would warn you. I mean, I mean, they come and they say here that this is dangerous, it's harmful. They warn you. It's almost like, um, like God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you partake of it, you will surely die. Uh, so if I get this in, if I get this in, and it starts to show its effect in my body, it will show in the form of dizziness, it will show in the form of convulsions, it will show in the form of nausea, it will show in the form of uh, me not being in my right mind. Saying things and seeing things that is not, um, that is, that I'm not, that's not there. Now what I would need in this case is I would need something that's an antidote to this or that, that can stop this. That I will need something that has conquered the death this brings. And then in those terms, I would define salvation, being saved from sin and death. Now, uh, in the case of, of man, we, we find that the doom that we got in, I like the word doom, the, the doom that we got in uh, and, and was through Adam. Adam disobeyed and he inhaled that which kills, and then the children of, of so we, we found man, God, let us make man in our image and our likeness, that man was Adam, and this man inhaled it, and then we find the children of man, which is us, uh, having the same death. And when God looks at this whole thing, he doesn't look at the death we have as a, as, yes, it was on account of disobedience. And what would take place on account of this disobedience was death started to manifest. And the side effects of it, or the, 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 the signs of death, which would be convulsions, vomiting, uh, not say, saying things that's not right, getting out of your mind, all those things would be likened to sin. Meaning that is not the life that was planned. That is not partaking of the life that was dreamt. So you found the disobedience and then you found the sins. And what you would do if you see somebody that has inhaled something like this and that is dying under the poisonous effect of it is you would want to save him. You would want to save him from, from that death. That's what you would want to bring forth. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He had to come and, number one, not confuse us with the convulsions that comes forth or the uh, uh, hallucinations or whatever that comes forth because of the poisoning. That's why the Bible says he has not imputed our trespasses unto us because he knew that this was the poison bringing this forth. But then what he did was he and this is how I see it in the baptism of John, he, he took the poison into himself and then died. The poison had its maximum work and then was raised. And when he was raised, what happens in that is, that is the way God, that is how God saves us from sin and death. 
if somebody gets this doom into his body, and let's say he gets a lot of it, you know, these days, uh, these things aren't as harmful as what they used to be years ago. I mean, years ago, you get this in, you can really quickly die. Uh, but these days, they're odorless and they're not as poisonous. You need to use so much on an insect. I remember years ago, if you used this, you just spray a little bit and all the insects die. The stuff worked. But the sad thing is people get brain damage and they get whatever as well. But um, if you get a lot of this in and you're busy dying, I mean, the worst thing would be to have a bottom line conclusion on who the person is by what he's going through because of this poison that's inside him. You, you cannot do that. That would be sin. That would be absolutely wrong. And imagine you, you were the cause of those convulsions because you were upset because this person was disobedient and actually went and sprayed the, too much of the stuff in his own face. What I mean by that is sometimes we think that the suffering we go through is God punishing us. No, it, God doesn't punish us with bad times and sickness and disease and all those kind of things to get us closer to him. That's not what he does. Neither is the convulsions we see in the world today on account of God's anger towards Adam. Neither was the pain Jesus went through, or if you want to call it the convulsions, or the, or the, the, the um, hallucinations, or the pain, or the whatever Jesus was going through, the effects of sin and death, that he was going through the Father punishing him. Not at all. Uh, it's like Greg Henry said, he said, you know, the, the, uh, the snake will bruise the heel. So the bruising Jesus went through was on account of the snake. And that's exactly what this is all about. So when we look at this whole situation and we look at the resurrection, we find that's how salvation actually takes place. And that's why the resurrection enjoys center stage. Because from this resurrection, we find the salvation that Paul calls there. He says, he has saved us from such a great death, talking about eternal death, bringing unto man the resurrection from the dead. And since he's done that in his resurrection, he also today in everyday life does deliver and does set free. Why? Because he's now come in the resurrection and he now visits us with eternal life and he visits us with the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to end off by going to Psalm 8 and I'm just going to quote that it. it says there in Psalm 8, Who is man that you are mindful of him? And who is the son of man that you visit him? Who is man that you're mindful of him? And who is the son of man that you visit him? Now that man there I see as Adam. Now if you study the Hebrew, that word man there talks about humanity in a, as a whole. It is not the Hebrew word Adam. Yet, if we read Hebrews 2, we find that the context where it is used in is Adam. So, um, what it says is, is, who is Adam that God cannot get Adam out of his mind? And who are the children of Adam, which is us? that he will come and actually visit us with 
his eternal life. And he goes on and he says in Hebrews 2 so clearly, and let me read that. I was thinking maybe I don't, I don't have enough time, but let us just go there. Hebrews 2, Hebrews chapter 2. This is so powerful. Now we can go through Hebrews here verse by verse. It says here, uh, Hebrews 2 and verse 2, it says, If the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received is just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so a great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So what he says is, Jesus started to speak about true salvation. That's where it actually first started. Salvation was not really defined in Judaism. They didn't understand salvation. They didn't know that salvation was from sin and death. They thought that salvation was from the oppression of nations, but Jesus comes and he defines what salvation is. is you can be saved from death and sin. Okay, then he goes on and he says um, in, it says, and then Jesus spoke this to people and those people have now spoken it to us. It says, God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subject the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man, that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man, that you visit him? And the Afrikaans it says, What is man, that you are mindful of him? And what is the children of this man, or the children of men, that you, are, that you visit them? You've made him a little lower than the angels, You've crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hand. You have put all things subject under his feet. For in that he put all in subject under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see the man, Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels or Elohim for suffering, uh, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, from whom all are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons, you see they're the sons of man, unto glory, to make the captain of the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So what is what he's saying here is it's like I said, it's technical, but it's so beautiful. God could not get Adam out of his mind. He was mindful of him. He saw Adam. And if you read uh, the first and second book of Adam and Eve, you will see how God dealt with Adam. And he said to Adam, Adam, you're going to die, but in five and a half days I will raise you up. And what he was saying to Adam is, even if you die in five and a half days from now, which was five and a half thousand years, which according to the Septuagint, was, there was, it was five and a half thousand years from the fall of Adam until the, uh, the resurrection. So <clears throat> he comes and what he's saying to Adam is, Adam, even if you die, I will raise you up. I will not forget you. Isn't that beautiful? He, he will never forget the representative of mankind 
who will also have children. And then he comes and in Jesus Christ, he comes and he incarnates a man of whom God is the father that doesn't have a biological father. And that is Adam. That is Adam right there. And he raised him up from the dead as he has promised him five and a half thousand years earlier. And as he raised him up, he then says, why would you remember this man? And why would you visit man? He says, you've made him a little lower than the angels and you remember him and you want to visit him. Why? Because we are God's friends. We are the brethren of God. And he comes and he says that he raised Adam and in raising him, he wants to bring many sons unto this very same glory. In that bringing sons unto glory, according to Psalm 8, is likened unto the visitation. So how God visits you is he visits you with love in your heart for others. He visits you with generosity in your heart for others. He visits you by taking the poison out of your bloodstream and giving you his life in conquering your death. When you see the two angels and you see an empty tomb and you see who would thought that an empty tomb would be the place from where God visits? It's beautiful. So when you see the empty tomb, you find that your sin and your death has been conquered. And as you see your sin and death has been conquered, you find the Holy Spirit bringing this Son, whom you are, unto glory. And the glory He brings you unto is the glory of the Spirit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, plus the gifts of the Spirit, and in the end, immortality as in the case of the resurrected Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That is the power of God, my friend. That is the very good news of Jesus Christ. Now you can go and read the whole of Hebrews 2 and you will see what I talk about here when he says that the beautiful thing there to me is he has not made the powers of the world to come subject to angels, but he has said that he cannot forget man. And what that means to me is, and it even testifies there in Hebrews 2, that the gospel was preached through people, through people, the true powerful message. Remember, the message of the law was given by angels to Moses. That's what the Jews believed, and it's also recorded like that. It was given by angels. But because it was a great powerful message. That's why it was given by the supernatural beings to Moses. But now there's a message that's greater than the message that the angels carried. And that is now given by a being that is higher, which is humans. And these humans spread the message. Let me read that. It says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so a great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So it's talking about physical people preaching. God also bearing them witness both with signs, wonders, um, and different miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. For unto the angels has he not put in subject the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testifies saying, what is man? that you should be mindful of him? Or what is the Son of Man that you should visit him? God knew 
what man was, he knew what Adam was, he knew who Jesus is, he knew what he would accomplish through Jesus, and he knew who those were in which that accomplishment will be fulfilled and manifest unto, and why all of this is. He knows man. That's why he says, in the beginning God came through angels and, and, and gave to Moses a message, but now he's got a greater message and he uses a greater being. He uses Jesus and humans to spread this. What this means is that the message of the resurrection in the mouth of a human is greater than any angel that brings you a teaching. You need no angel to bring you a teaching for angels cannot carry the power of this message. It's to be carried by humans because humans are the very image of God. They are in the likeness of God. He's come and he brought a Jesus forth and this Jesus in the resurrection, an angel couldn't carry that message because you need a physical body. You need to uh, have a physical death. You need a physical resurrection. That's what you need to be a carrier of this message. Can you see what this is all about? And then the, then the Holy Spirit came and confirmed this resurrection to people, the sons of man, unto, who, is called, who are called the brethren of God. And this message is in our hearts. And we can now, with this first fruit inside us, carry this message to others. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he's come to bring forth. And we are the place we are the people that God has come to visit from the revelation of the resurrection, an empty tomb. Glory to God. Amen. This is good news. This is absolute, absolute good news. Now, let me end off practically. As I behold the resurrection from the understanding of its conquering power over sin and death, and I behold that is my only truth, I behold the resurrection, when I look back at the Old Testament and I, I, from the resurrection, look at that, I interpret the things in the here and now and in the deliverance we have now from the resurrection. And then f with this resurrection in mind, I behold the future. As I see that, I find the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, bearing witness with the spirit of God, the Spirit of God, when Jesus was on the earth, was a spirit of kindness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, and all those things, plus signs, wonders, and miracles. I find the Spirit of my Spirit, in other words, this Holy Spirit, bringing forth a new life in me, testify with the life Jesus has. And then this Spirit that is in me will also quicken my mortal body unto a spiritual body. Now, let me explain a spiritual body in closing. When the Bible talks about an earthly body and a spiritual body, this is the difference. An earthly body finds its life in animal-like nature and ability. It finds itself, its life from the food you eat, the air you breathe, and all those things. So it's a physical body that finds its source from physical uh, normal scientific logic, biological truths. That's what is the power. And it's, it can only live in the, it, as long, how can I say, in, 
in the parameters of which these natural things can provide, which in human cases is about 120 years. So that we would call a natural body. It is a, a physical body that's alive based on natural truth. That's why I say eat natural food, eat natural, this natural. But it can only last a certain period of time, but it's because you've got a natural body. It doesn't make the body not physical. If I say natural body, it doesn't make it... it, it it's a, still a physical body, but the source is natural. Now, if I say a spiritual body, can be likened unto saying a steam train or a diesel train. If I say, or an electric train. If I say a electric train, which is the most powerful trains in the world, or I say a steam train, both of them are trains. Both of them are physical. The way they look is a bit different. I mean, if you take an old steam train, you take one of these high-speed German trains, or the high-speed trains in China, they, you, you might think, what is this? Is this an aeroplane or is this a train? I don't know. Uh, uh, but I know it's a train. <laughs> you know, so it's like you are not sure, but you know for sure that it's a train. Because you can take a high-speed train, you, you will say, this doesn't look like a train. You're on the inside of it. It's got aeroplane seats. It's got all the technology in it. And you will say, well, it sure doesn't look like a train, but it is a train. It's almost like Jesus when he was raised and he appeared to them and he, and he ate with them and they, like, they knew who he was but no one dared to ask, who are you? Because there was a kind of a thing of, I don't know who you are but I know who you are. And the electric train is a physical train and it is powered by electricity. And the steam train is a physical train but it's powered by steam. In the very same way the spiritual body is not a spirit as much as what a steam train is not steam, as much as what an electric train is not electricity. In the very same way, a spiritual body is not a spirit, but it's a physical body that finds its source of life not in natural, in the natural, but in the supernatural power of God. And as what you would find an old train that would be put on the junkyard and then that steel would be melted and reshaped and reformed and a brand new electric train would be built from it in the very same way I believe our physical bodies when it dies will be reshaped and reformed the same material will be used but a brand new body which functions from a new power source which is as physical as what the other one was Actually, I would say more physical because the first physical body could end. In other words, it could only be physical for a certain period of time and then it starts to dissolve in its elements. But the second physical body, the one of the resurrection, is greater than the other one, more physical for it's eternally physical since its source is an unending source. Glory to God. Now, with that in mind, we find the power of that belief bring forth a brand new life in us. Glory to God. Church, I want to thank you so much for watching, and I'm glad that I made this recording, and it might be up a little bit late in the, uh, uh, because I must first go and edit all of this out, but thank you so much, and uh, just want to say I love you, care for you, and God loves you so much. He is with you. I also want to thank everybody that is just part of our web church, part of this ministry in your giving, in your sharing of, 
of uh, links and telling people about this, messages in people, making CDs, giving it out, putting it on memory sticks, dishing it out. Uh, wonderful just to see how you are involved in spreading the gospel. Thank you so much. God bless.